thank you so much for tuning back in to Happy to Meet Cute. Um, this is Courtney Kay with my amazing co-host Fallon Ballard. And um, I apologize. Hopefully we can edit this out, but there's like somebody's cutting down a palm tree. So there's some noise. <laughs> um, but on the very bright side of today, we have my amazing editor, Elizabeth Trout, associate editor at Kensington Publishing um, with us. And I like couldn't be happier whenever I get to see Elizabeth. My heart is like bursting. So <laughs> Elizabeth, oh. thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you, Courtney and Fallon. This is such a, an exciting opportunity. I'm really happy to be here to be talking about In the Case of Heartbreak and to have my first podcast guest experience. Yay. <laughs> Very exciting. We'll try to make it as painless as possible. <laughs> yes. You are already a pro. <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> um, so Elizabeth, how long have we been working together now? It's flown. It, it has. has been a busy, has it been two years? I think so. I want, it was definitely during the pandemic because yeah. I remember work, being at my standing desk in my room That's that right. could not, uh, in my apartment that could not fit a full desk. So I had a standing <laughs> desk, <laughs> did not have a great work from home set up there. And like thinking about your book and talking to my team and then talking to you anyway. So it has, let's see, probably early 2021 or was it fall 2021? Yeah. yeah. So I'm just saying, yeah, because I, no, it was early. It was early 2021. Like spring, maybe. Yep, spring. Yeah. Okay. Dang, it's flown. Yeah. yeah. And we finally got to meet each other in person because I'm based in New York and Courtney's based in California. And I was there in, um, yeah, like not a month ago at this point, but a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah. And we got to have lunch and we went to the Ripped Bodice bookstore, which was so much fun. Um, and we had ice cream. So we had ice cream. <laughs> a wonderful time. Yes. More more on that later, perhaps. Absolutely. The essentials. <laughs> yeah. Such a joy. Um, so we will get into everything about publishing in a second. Um, but just to tell people about the book, since this is its launch episode, it is going to be, this episode will release during... Um, I almost said debut week, but this is release week now. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to do book. a debut anymore. <laughs> um, so in the case of Heartbreak follows Ben Parrish, who is our cinnamon roll of a baker from book one, which is in the event of love. And poor Ben is just really going through it. He has uh, accepted a position on a reality TV show, which is a baking competition show, to take his family's cinnamon roll recipe national. Um, he's very anxious about being perceived in general and um, because of a lot of childhood trauma, really doesn't like being um, on media, but he wants to do this for his family and his business. So we open with him being filmed um, and like I said, he's really like on the struggle bus. When things start kind of calming down, this is when our uh, producer of the show, which is called Take the Cake National, um, mistakes his unrequited crush, Adam Reed, for his current boyfriend and very publicly announces them as a couple, to which Adam Reed, poor <laughs> sweet Adam, um, says they will only ever just be friends. So as you can imagine, Ben has a major meltdown. And thankfully, the timing is good for him to take that two-week vacation to his grandmother's beach mansion um, for her two-week birthday extravaganza. Unbeknownst to Ben, uh, Grandma has some meddling ways, which we call her Gma. Um and she has hired Adam Reed to be her stand-in guitarist for her two-week birthday celebration and also housed him in the guest cottage with her grandson, Ben. <laughs> so shenanigans ensue. And that was a very long uh, explanation of this book. 
<laughs> no, it's great. That's it. Yeah, it's um, was such a joy to work on. So charming. So I, if people have read um, Courtney's first book, In the Event of Love, it has that same like whimsical magic. Um, but then you take the like holiday, like winter time setting and transplant it to the beach in the summer um, and, you know, summer twinkle lights and all of that. And I am very excited to, for people to read it. And also if you read it in the event of love, you probably love Ben um, and have been teased for his, uh, his crotch <laughs> on Adam. Um, so you will, I mean, not to spoil anything, but there's a solid chance that things will work out well for them, <laughs> given that this is a romance. <laughs> there might be a happily ever after. There Who's to say? Not. <laughs> I just have to say, because I just finished reading this book like yesterday, and I am obsessed, obviously, but like it really, truly, it was like the perfect coinciding of all the beautiful things because it was like our first day of sunshine this weekend and I was just reading this book and I was just like I am just like itching to just be sitting on the beach I want Maywell Bay to be a real place so I can just go there and relax and hang out with Jima and make friends with her because she was like the best character of the book sorry Ben and Adam you're cool too but like I was just like, this is like my life goal is to be Gma and having a two week birthday bash for my 80th birthday and just like basking in all the money that all of my husbands yeah. have left me. Sorry yeah. to my oh. actual husband. But <laughs> that's the new life plan. <laughs> I actually have huge regrets that I didn't put her in like one of those dead husband's gowns. Like what was actually, she does have like what a... Is have you you seen these a dead husband gown i've never heard of that fallon do you know what i'm talking about okay so we 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 must enlighten you okay basically like those gowns that are kind of like sheer with a satin tie and they have like the feathers feathers around the wrist and like you would see them in like old time movie stars which okay. is sitting there with like their long cigarette <laughs> okay okay i so it's a vibe I it's guess. a vibe okay yes. i was picturing like photos of <laughs> i don't know <laughs> oh my god that would be amazing <laughs> um i'm glad i have this clarity <laughs> i love that no, but if you legit like Google like dead husband gown, it will actually pop okay. up. Okay. Like it's a okay. yeah. I yeah. will Google that after this. But <laughs> like, but I like your I idea better. The right, <laughs> the right mental image. Okay. Yeah. Well, great. Yes. No. Um, Shima is is hilarious. Um, she also has a a, a book club. <laughs> mm, that's right. Um, and her her book club is they're equally. Um, I don't know. If, feisty sounds diminutive but i feel like feisty is a good good word they are feisty um, yeah i would read a whole series about them <laughs> she lives no. for shock value she lives to make people um uncomfortable and very loved simultaneously yes and <laughs> yeah the theme parties in this book that gma orchestrates are just on point and yeah i don't i mean is it spoilers to give too many no. details about the party anyway the very first one is a pirate party and just like the details there's a lot of uh crab imagery and jokes <laughs> oh, yeah. about uh, when ben is wandering around freaked out he's like oh these crabs is this you know giant pile of snow crabs on front of seafood table anyway yeah i so good enjoyed the crab jokes Somehow, like in the imagery, they become like crab zombies, and yeah, that, that's yeah. what it was—crab zombies. Yeah, and I remember, um, like that had stayed through every draft, which this book went through <laughs> so many drafts. It did. <laughs> yeah, like Elizabeth, you really saved me there. Um, but the parties, like, were made to feel like Sabrina, the film with Harrison Ford, circa nineteen ninety-five. 
Um, if you don't know, I've watched it many times. And uh, <laughs> like those parties were just everything. I think I always felt a little bit like Sabrina when she's like up in the tree staring down at the party. <laughs> I don't know. That was hugely relatable in my life, I guess. But um, these parties are just supposed to feel super extravagant and escapist. Yeah. Um, and they were so much fun to craft. And the pirate party was absolutely so that I could put um, Adam in like a Captain Killian Jones from Once Upon a Time costume. That was the whole point of that party. Yeah, I feel, it, like, feel like it went yeah, well. I think it's very important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I have to say, I know this is like not a thing that I usually pay attention to in contemporary, but I, and maybe this is because this is something I'm so terrible at, but the world building in this book is like so beautifully done. And I think that that's something that we just don't pay attention to enough in contemporary, but you really do. And it, it was the same with in the event where it's like, you feel like you're there and like, you feel like you're watching it in your head. And it's like, just so gorgeous. Like the detail you pay attention to and can capture. I'm amazed. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I think that's one of Courtney's many strengths is that like, you, she creates these worlds that are, you know, they're real. It's, it's our world, but just these gorgeous settings and the really like warm, like homey feelings and just like, it's so beautiful and charming and fantastical, but also, you know, it's, it's our world and it's really lovely and just like a warm, you know, warm, comfortable feeling. And I love it. Thank you. And Elizabeth was super instrumental um, in helping me know where to insert more world building details like as we went so I am a layerer of a writer which is definitely mm -hmm. a professional term but um <laughs> so actually I guess we could go right into like how this process went yeah. so with the two book contract we had an idea of what this book would be um like an overall pitch, which was kind of the length of a query, which uh, marketing ended up using to like write the back cover copy. They they took it and put their beautiful, you know, language to it. Um, and actually, just to take a moment for that, what does it say on the back? I actually died when I first read this. Oh, is this the, can this, the cinnamon roll? So I will say that, so marketing writes a lot of copy what we at Kensington we also have a um, like a specific like cover copy department which is different from a lot of publishing houses so we have um, a team and they both it's a combination of it depends on the book but they'll work with freelancers for the copy but then they also like massage it and edit it in-house and then the, the editor gets a pass and then I show you a pass so it, it's really awesome that we have that cover copy team to help us because a lot of, um, I believe a lot of other publishing houses, the editors do the cover copy, which is fun, but it's also more, more things to do. So it's nice to yeah. have an assist with, you know, and they come with some really great stuff, but, but continue, you were going to, uh, share the, the line that you really liked from the cover copy. Um, but that's so cool to know. Um, okay. So it says, can he take the sweetness in front of him and brave the bitterness that comes after, or is a little sea salt just what the cinnamon roll needs? Salty cinnamon rolls? Ew. Ben would never. Yes. yes <laughs> I that <laughs> screamed when I read that because I feel like, I don't know, it's just like working with Kensington, I feel really perceived in a really caring way as an author because I feel like they really paid attention to the voice of this book and of the series. And just seeing that back cover copy, I was like, damn, like, that's it. Like that. <laughs> That is it. Um, so just everything about this book coming to life from the cover, um, which actually I remember I had sent you a an email saying that the like character inspirations for Ben and Adam was Owen Joyner and Charlie Gillespie from Julie and the Phantoms. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> just like a little older. And um, uh -huh. the cover artist... Uh, Oh my God, where is it? Monica Rowe, like really, really nailed it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I included, um, so I guess that I can get, I was going to get into the, our, like some of our 
processes in terms of the art, but I did include those photos when I was talking to the art department and I assumed that they shared them with uh, Monica. <laughs> yeah. Just um, the, the, um, of the two actors who were your inspiration. <laughs> yeah, I know it's funny, but everything about this process and I know I got way off track there, but yeah. I had sent Elizabeth when it was time to turn in my first draft, like my first draft was 40,000 words, which was, I think I cried after I sent it to you, <laughs> oh. but it's what existed at that point, And we built up from there. So being able to kind of be messy in that stage was so freeing as an artist. And then it felt like such a collaborative and supportive endeavor of, okay, well, this is my process and I'm going to just be super open about it and we'll get there together. Um, as opposed to, I think for a long time, I felt like I had to turn in something that was at the stage in the event of love was at, which I had worked on, you know, for at least a couple years or a year and a half by the time it got to Kensington. So to be able to like work together in those early stages was, um, oh, it was like, it was just the coolest and like most freeing thing. And then by the time I really needed um, a lot of support when I had to actually like fully redo the outline, rewrite the whole thing, um, when I realized a lot of it um, had like fallen apart, it wasn't stacking up like dominoes. Um, it was really cool to be able to get on a call with you and have you understand exactly what I was talking about. And like, it's just like, thank you for all of that. Like you're, you've been so amazing to work with. You're an incredible editor. Oh, thank you. And person. I appreciate that. Thank you. You as well. And yeah, I'll just, yeah, spin that back around and say that you're truly one of my favorite authors to work with. And that's, you know, I'm not saying that because I'm on your podcast, but like you are just, <laughs> maybe? no, just kidding. Um, no, but genuinely. And yeah. And you'll, you'll always have a special place in my heart because you were my very first solo author at Kensington, That's uh, which so we, we discussed. Um, yeah, I think in California, but anyway, you're just always so, um, so accommodating, but also when you need accommodation, you're very clear and communicative communicative about it. I know the second drafting the second book and going through, you know, all those iterations was it's tough. It's really hard. And I feel like that process of working with you, you know, we did go through a lot of drafts, but it, you know, you were really awesome throughout the whole process. And, you know, I could tell you were struggling and I, <laughs> I'm glad that I, I, um, that you found my support helpful. I just, you know, we ultimately, um, you know, I and Kensington and, you know, all publishers, we want the product to be the best it can be. And, you know, we don't want to, I don't want to force you to like whip through something and turn in something that you don't feel good about and that you're not proud of. So like, you know, being able to take the time to make it, you know, to like be like, okay, this isn't working. I want to rework this. And, you know, I'm on board with your vision and, you know, happy to help shape and, you know, sculpt things as you know as we go through but it is your book and obviously want to make sure you are fully fully excited about it and on board with you know what we go forward with and I believe that is the case with this book yeah and I mean the support was unparalleled especially dealing with a book where we tackled a lot of um like mental health issues um I know we you and I had this conversation about it was really important to take the time to get that right um, mm -hmm. and not rush yeah. through that because we really cared about the representation. Yeah. And, and that is something. A lot of aspects. Oh, sorry. Of this book. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I guess I haven't really touched on yet about this book. You know, it, it, it's it's so many different things. It's so fun and frothy and summery and, you know, some steamy romance. But there's also, you know, this real examination of, you know, Ben deals with at times like fairly significant anxiety. And, you know, he's has this trauma from his, his past relationship with his dad. And he hasn't, I mean, I don't know if one ever fully gets over that, but he's, you know, constantly in a process of, um, you know, growing and trying to, um, 
overcome, you know, these things that he feels are hold and, you know, that are holding him back. And he's, you know, the book openly talks about like his relationship with his therapist. And, you know, um, so I feel like it does, it hits that, you know, deeper emotional level and, you know, dealing with anxiety and all of that. So it's, you know, on many different levels, it's, you know, it has, I feel like I'm repeating myself. It, ha it has those like deeper layers, but then also is super fun and escapist and charming. Jima brings the comedic relief. <laughs> she sure does. <laughs> she is great comedic relief. <laughs> but um, I know I kind of took us on a rambling journey there, but um, as far as like the editing process, but do you want to talk on, on that process at all? Yeah. Um, so just more broadly, rather than like your and I's process or, or a little bit of both. Sure. Yeah. Like just how a book becomes a book on yeah. your end. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, we start at the acquisitions process. Um, so that's when, um, an author usually, um, so Kensington is a little bit unique in that we do still, as a publisher, we accept submissions that um, don't have agents attached to them. Although I will say, I mean, I can't give a percentage, but uh, most of the uh, books that we publish are agented. Um, but so I'll say that when we get a submission from an agent, um, they send that to me and, you know, us as, as editors. Um, and we then... Um, bring that. And you know, that process can work a little bit differently, but generally we bring it to our acquisitions board, um, which consists of other editors or publisher. Um, so yeah, so we get, um, we get feedback, what we call like back reads. We'll have, um, other people read the book. Um, and you know, there are a couple like key decision makers at the top as much as I would love to be able to take on every single project that I fall in love with. Sometimes the team's consensus is that it's not the right project for Kensington at the time. Um, so, you know, it's a, it, it, it is collaborative, but ultimately as the editor, the project you're bringing forward is your, you know, the book that you are championing. Um, so then when um, the book makes it through um, the eyes of the, the rest of the people on your, on your team, um, then you go usually talk to the editor about, or um, excuse me, talk to the author about the de developmental edit process, which is what Courtney and I were talking about. And that's usually what uh, an edit, what we think of as an editor, an acquisitions editor does with the editing process. We have a, um, we have separate copy editors who go through and look for grammar and spelling and all of that kind of thing. Um, so because a lot of, you know, people will ask me like, oh, you're an editor. Like, can you check my grammar? And I'm like, I can, I'm good enough at grammar, but that's not what I do mm -hmm. in my job. If I see something that seems wrong when we're going through edits, I will note it. But in terms of like, does this comma go here? Does it go here? This kind of, that kind of thing that is left to a specific copy editor that reviews the book after we finish developmental edits. Um, so, yeah, so I mean, the editing process is one of my favorite parts of my job, as probably many editors will tell you. It's really exciting um, to work with the author on, you know, polishing the book and make, you know, bringing out the characters and their motivations and, you know, maybe tightening certain parts of the plot. And it's just really fun um, to have that collaborative process. Um, and I'm usually, you know, as much as I, have thoughts and opinions and, you know, want, have my specific vision of how I see the book um, being the most successful. As I said earlier, ultimately it's down to the author. And I, I can't think of any instances in my, the books that I've worked on where an author has said, here's the reasons why I don't want to change it and have given me compelling reasons. And that I've said, no, you, you have to change it. Like usually if an author, excuse me, an author comes back and says, I, I need to have it this way because it works with this and this and the story, then I'm, then I say, okay, like I, I see your argument there. Um, usually, um, you know, things that I somehow feel are non-negotiable, not to say that I'm always right, but often that leads to a conversation with the author. We say, okay, so I see what you're saying here. Why don't I tweak this that achieves the same goal? 
mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, so that's the developmental edit process. It can go back and be, you know, sometimes I get a manuscript from an author and I read it and I'm like, wow, this is, this is, looks good. Um, can you change these two things? We send it, send it back and it goes to be copy edited, but then sometimes things need, you know, a lot more passes. And I feel like that it's much, it's much more the case that we go back and forth a couple of passes, um, between the, uh, the author and the editor. Um, and then once we've, uh, the, et- keep saying I'm the editor, <laughs> once the author <laughs> and I agree, um, that we're happy with the book as it is, then it goes, um, to be to an outside copy editor. So we have a copy editor look at it. Um, and then it goes through the whole production process. So we have production editors who handle the process of getting that book past, you know, now that all the developmental edits are done, they are the ones who are in charge of making the book physically become a book. Um, if it gets typeset, um, put into, you know, the format by which we will eventually read it in a physical book or, um, as an ebook. Um, and it goes through proofreading. The author gets chances along the way, like after the copy edits to look at it again, um, after it's been typeset um, to make sure that the formatting looks okay, if there are any last typos and that kind of thing. Um, so there are a lot of different, um, a lot of different eyes on it and a lot of different um, people contributing to this process um, in terms of getting it to actually be a physical book product. Um, and that's, you know, and we haven't even talked about like the cover, cover design and all of that, that happens pretty early on in the process. And it's often surprising to authors how early we have to nail down the cover, which is exciting, but sometimes it depends on the timing, but sometimes we have books scheduled and depending on a lot of times with authors in series, we we're asking before they haven't decided on the next, uh, the, the plot of the next series. So, <laughs> you know, that's sometimes mm-hmm. we have to, we have to figure out the timing, but um, yeah, that's kind of, uh, yeah. So the cover stuff happens a lot earlier um, in the process. Um, hopefully that roughly made sense. Um, and then once, you know, as sort of as a, at the same time, once, as the book is going through the production process, um, marketing and publicity gets the final, um, you know, the final version that of after the developmental edits, um, so that they can read the book and, you know, no, they've heard, they've had it pitched to them, um, by me. Um, and then, you know, they can read the material and, you know, figure out how they're going to, um, you know, bring it out to the world. So my, my job, I guess one could say that after after I finish the developmental edits with the author, send it to our production department, and theoretically in one sense, I have then passed off the main part of my job to other people, but that's also not really the case um, in that I am still very much um, copied on everything and have my hands in uh, the rest of the process, um, not always is, you know, I'm just a, you know, really the editor is the author's liaison in the publishing house. So we know everything that's going on with the book, even though like, you know, we're letting, um, you know, marketing and publicity do their jobs, our sales team, like they're, you know, they're all out, like talking up the book and all of that. And I'm just also here in house being like, yay, <laughs> if you need anything, you know, whatever you need support. So um, editors will also, we present, um, the books too. So we have like a couple like yearly, um, company-wide meetings where editors will pitch the books to publicity, sales, and marketing. Um, so the, we're really the first, first line of defense. It's not exactly the right phrasing, but we're the (laughs) first, the first people who know intimately about the book and we're the ones who are bringing it to the rest of our team who then bring it to the world. So it's really important to present things in the, you know, be the best possible cheerleader for our books so that other people at the company and our sales reps get really excited about it. So then they can, you know, have that energy and bring it to the world. So 
yeah, so that's a little bit about the process. Um, and it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say it totally like blew my mind when I was working on my debut, just how many people, I mean, it's like, obviously I knew there, it was more than just, you know, an editor slapping books together. <laughs> That's obviously not how that works, but like, I just continued to be amazed by how many different stages there were, how many people kind of had their hands on your book to make it all come together. Um, and I think, my editor says she's like the midwife. <laughs> like she's funny. The, yeah. <laughs> the author's birthing the book baby and she's the midwife who kind of helps you go through the process and, <laughs> and keep it all together. Yes. I, I like that's a funny metaphor. <laughs> I my mind is just blown. Like I don't know how how you do it all. Like because it seems like that would be such a full-time job with one book, like on top of, you know, reviewing submissions, on, but like you do this with multiple books. So it's just, it's wild to me. Like, wow. Ah. Yeah, usually they're hopefully not, you know, they're, it's not like I have seven books publishing on the same, the same day. So usually <laughs> hopefully they're a little bit spread out. So okay. this, the process is in different stages for different books. So, but sometimes things, you know, I have a couple authors all turning things in at the same time. So then it's um, a lot at the same time, but um, this is kind of how it happens. You know, ebb, uh, what's the right ebbs and flows, lulls and yeah. 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 Your email <laughs> inbox just must, I can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it is a lot of emails, you know, <laughs> gotta, so gotta stay organized. <laughs> a lot yeah. of it's, you know, it's a lot of my job is answering emails. <laughs> you know, anytime, you, them. anytime you, um, and my agent Claire get back to me, like, it's always so fast. And I just look at my inbox, like, damn, <laughs> they're really well, on I mean, top of it. I, I try, I try. It's amazing. Um, You're doing amazing. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> just, just, we're all just trying here. And I love how you, so you basically walked us through like the acquisitions process through the whole thing, A to Z. Yeah. Uh, and I love that because I think that publishing as a whole can be very like opaque to authors who are looking to be traditionally published. Mm -hmm. Like there's this kind of sense that like once you enter the golden gates, like you're just off into the ether. <laughs> But I remember, um, you know, entering the contract. So the book deal happened, entering the contract. And it was kind of very much like um, I needed help to understand every step of the process. And I feel like that was very much what debut year was about. And um, I remember asking lots of questions, yeah, <laughs> sending no, lots said. of emails. Yeah. Yeah. And um, but then it just helps so much, like all your explanations and all of um, like going through each stage. So from, I know in the event was very minimal edits because we had already like, it was pretty much done at that point. Yeah. Um, so we just did a few things um, and then entered into the production phase pretty early. Like we, mm -hmm. we did copy edits. Um, yeah. Everything moved along very quickly, but it was, cool in the sense that it was a really good example of what to expect um, in the future. Um, and then going into book two, dealing with like the newness of working on something under a contract, like from ground up, um, it was reassuring to know like, okay, well, once I'm done with this stage, I know like ABC comes next. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess if I were to say something to like authors entering publishing is just like ask questions. I mean, it's, it's basically like starting a new job or entering a new, like work environment for the first time. Um, and it's good to ask questions because then you can know what's expected of you. Um, and just, I feel like communication is key between 
um, authors and agents and editors, you know, and just kind of keeping your agent up to date on what you're doing. And sometimes your agent will then communicate for you. And sometimes, you know, you communicate directly with your editor and CC your agent, but like having everybody in like your whole team on the loop is super helpful. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And then when marketing comes, it's always fun. And Kensington has such a great marketing team. Um, If it's okay to say, let me know, we could edit it out if not. Um, oh yeah. I'll, I guess I'll let you know. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's great. It's great. It's good to say we have a great marketing team. Yeah. I guess if you get <laughs> for some reason too specific, I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. Um, but what I love about Kensington's marketing team, especially when tackling, um, diverse books is so in the event of love and in the case of heartbreak has, um, like a general marketing romance marketing person and then um like another a a second marketing person who focuses on diversity and queerness which was super cool because I feel like today in publishing it can feel like okay well let's check these diversity boxes but Kensington is like really walking the talk as far as like we want to acquire um like marginalized authors and diverse books, and we're going to actually do what it takes to make them succeed. So um, like entering into Kensington and then finding that out was just like the coolest thing ever. Um, It felt like so supportive and so exciting. And it was like, yeah, like this, this publisher is actually excited about like making change as opposed to just like, oh, this is, (laughs) this is on trend, quote unquote, Sure, you know, Um, like you guys don't treat diversity as a trend. You, you treat it as something that's like actually important and you want to make those differences in publishing. And, um, that's something I I really admire about Kensington as a publisher. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's yeah, definitely important to us. And, um, you know, something that we're, you know, continuously looking for. So um, it's nice to hear you say that you felt appreciated by that. Yeah. And it's, it's obvious that you all are, um, like that's something you really care about. Yeah. No, absolutely. We let's see. We could edit this part out. What's up next, Fallon? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we had a segue gap. <laughs> okay, segue gap. Oh, well, okay. I mean, I think we all know one of the most delightful things about in the case of heartbreak is the baked goods. Yeah. <laughs> um, Yay. I the whole time I was just like I need a cinnamon roll immediately (laughs) and it could go either way like a baked one and also a human being one I will take (laughs) one of each please and thank you um but yeah it was just like one of those things where it's like as you're reading it I was like I could like smell it you know like you get that like sensory overload as you're reading um so I don't Actually, I don't know, Courtney, if we've even talked about this before, but do you actually, do you bake at all? <laughs> so, <laughs> <Or> no. <laughs> this is so by funny. Judging by the laugh. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, as you were talking, I was like shaking my head at my own self. So getting into this book, like outlining this book, drafting the book, revising the book, I actually spoke with people like Anita Kelly and Susie DeMond, who have incredible uh like cooking and baking themed rom-coms and I was like how do I how do I do this (laughs) because I am not like a professional baker I used to bake I went through like a very solid baking phase you know where I like sifted flour and did all of like the legit like baking (laughs) it's so professional (laughs) um so I kind of hearkened back to when I really really was into my baking era. Um, but I also just super enjoy food and wanted to bring that to the page. So I think, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. But I knew that <laughs> I wasn't going to be the person to write the kind of baking book or baking reality competition where they're doing a lot of challenges, right? Ooh, like in Chef's Choice by TJ Alexander, there's a ton of those and it's so good, so well done. 
But I knew for me, I wasn't going to be that person because I'm not like a professional chef or baker. So I really wanted to capture like the joy of bakeries and cafes that I am like obsessed with. Like anywhere I go on vacation, I have to find the local bakery or cafe or just I'm like always trying to frequent them around town. That's like a problem. But (laughs) um, (laughs) that's what I really wanted to capture, just like the joy that that brings people. Um, so I guess that is a little different about this book as opposed to other, um, you know, baking competition or baking books. It's, it's a little less hands-on. Um, there are moments where we do actually bake and, um, but there are many more moments where it's just kind of like a vibe. raise during the the scenes where they actually bake because they're like oh yeah there's a moment where they bake they do bake Uh (laughs) actually uh chip ponds who wrote um you and i rewritten he read that scene and he's like cool i'm gonna have to go get some icing now (laughs) yeah there's like a steamy baking scene that um, Mm -hmm. has has received some good feedback (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's great i think that was one of the things that i think you had in early drafts and that was one of the other like things that stayed in almost all or most of the iterations of this book because it was so good so like was the book created just for that scene and we created a whole book around (laughs) it possibly you know not mad about it Yeah, something I actually love just to mention about Ben that's very different from Morgan and Rachel. So like his intimate scenes are very much centered around dialogue. Um, And whereas like Morgan and Rachel have a little more like graphic language in their intimate scenes. But with Ben and Adam, like focusing on Ben as a character, he's so sensitive and reserved and like protects his his sweetheart. And so it was a lot about him and his communication with Adam. Um, And I feel like that was a big difference between these two books and these characters where like Morgan and Rachel were like, let's go, like, (laughs) no, no, (laughs) let's do this. And Ben and Adam, like, especially coming from a point of like the, the whole arc of Ben is kind of learning how to communicate and accepting that his needs and wants are valid and deserving of like being acknowledged. So I think that was a big thing for Adam to really affirm for Ben. And so in all of their intimate scenes and the baking scene, there's a lot (laughs) of um, dialogue. Like it is open door, but it's very, it's a very different vibe than in the event of love. But yeah. Yeah. Baking. <laughs> Let's talk about baking. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's, yeah, those are all, that's a good point talking about the difference between Morgan and Rachel and um, Ben and Adam in yeah. uh, the two different books. Um, but yes, baking. Yeah. I, <laughs> I love to bake um, and I love baked goods. And I think I love to bake because I love baked goods. And that, you know, that's often. How I always, I don't know, I guess there are people who enjoy baking and sharing their creations with people, but don't actually enjoy eating their baked goods as much. And those people, I'm always like, oh, okay. Um, weird. Because I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, I'm happy, I'm happy for them, but I, I, it's a selfish, selfish motivation. I like baking and sharing with people, but I do it because I like to eat baked goods. Um, but I just, I have to give a little shout out to a, um, a Brooklyn institution called Baked in Brooklyn that has extremely, extremely tasty cinnamon rolls on brand with the book. Um, Fallon, where are you based? I'm in Southern California too. Okay. But All right. Okay. Never I mind. But go to you... New York quite a bit. So I'm okay. like, I'm making a note of that one. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're really, really good. I was, I was there this weekend and I, they're also really big. Um, so it can, it can be an all in one, you know, you can just have the cinnamon roll as your meal or yes. it can be enjoyed over however long you 
can keep it around, but they're really good. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of um, like very rich, decadent baked goods. So I feel like what did the Ben and Adam made? They made cupcakes that were, was it like caramel and like coffee? Yes. Whatever the flavor profiles were in the book, I was very much on board. Um, so yeah. Do you, do you guys have a favorite baked good, like of all time, like type of baked good or specific? I definitely went through in whatever year it was probably what, like 10 years ago or so when we were in the cupcake craze Mm -hmm. of the like 2010 era. Mm -hmm. I made a lot of cupcakes. Cupcakes are really good. (laughs) But then I had a child and I was like, I don't have time for this anymore. (laughs) Oh my God. But yeah, it was always like a really good stress reliever too. Like it's just like, and especially if you are have like a more creative brain, it's like, especially with baking, it's like the measurements have to be, you know, somewhat precise and like if they're very particular steps you need to follow. And I feel like for a brain that sometimes probably like all of ours, it's a nice little break from letting it wander and do its own thing. It's like, okay, you got to focus and do these steps. And I like that yeah. sometimes. Yes. And there can be room for creativity within baking, but it can also be very like cut and dry. Like I do this, this, and this, and I get this product and you know, it's nice. Yeah. Nice to do while like listening to music or a podcast. Um, perhaps That's so true. Bake and listen to this podcast. <laughs> yes. And, and um, feel free to send us your baked goods anytime. Oh, <laughs> yes. If you're out there baking baked goods while listening to this podcast, yeah. please send them our way. <laughs> Um, and I said, oh my God, because so Anne Hathaway has this hack of eating a cupcake. Have you heard of this? Yes. Um, my best friend does this too. Is this? Okay, go on. I might, it's a, I haven't heard of Anne Hathaway's hack, but I know some cupcake hacks. So, okay. So you, you though. hold the cupcake from the base and you like basically lift off the muffin top of the cupcake, flip it upside down and eat it like a whoopie pie or something. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I ha- I have heard of that cupcake sandwich method. I didn't know that Anne Hathaway does that. That's <laughs> fun. Yeah. When I was in college, uh, the dining hall had really good desserts often, and that was where I first learned about the cupcake sandwich. That's it's amazing. A game changer because sometimes yeah. I eat cupcakes with a fork. I don't know if that's controversial, but no, kind I of don't like do that too. You know? So yeah. it's. But if you're not eating it with a fork, the sandwich method is is a good way to go. Yeah, my uh, best friend has done that like the whole time that I have known her. Um, and I always was like, you are such a weirdo. <laughs> like, why are you doing that? <laughs> but then I was uh, hosting her bridal shower. And so I just made all of her cupcakes that way. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and I was cute. like, oh, this actually like makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's very practical. Yeah. What are your feelings on cupcakes with filling? Mm. Ooh. Okay. Um, usually, usually a yes. Um, I'm definitely more of like uh, a cream or a caramel or like a chocolate filling. I do like fruit fillings, but not like a jam. I don't love a jam as much as like, mm-hmm. yes, a, like a, what a, what did I just say? A cream, a caramel, or yeah. chocolate. But basically, most fillings I can, I do also like a, a fruity jam filling. Oh, yeah, can't go wrong with caramel. Yeah. caramel anything. Do yeah. you have a go-to like baked item that you're just like you, you always go to in your kitchen? <laughs> Uh, when I go to bake, yeah. When you go to bake, sorry, well, I, I like couldn't yeah. ask oh, that no. question. <laughs> yeah, it depends. It depends on the season. Um, I, I guess I and I go through phases. One that like as of I think this was during the pandemic. I made it for the first time, but it's a it's a New York Times cooking recipe. Um, they're called sugar cookie bars, and it's basically like you make it in a thirteen by nine inch pan, and it's like a cream cheese based sugar cookie so it's like so it's a bar it's you make them all in one big bar and it's really like you you're supposed to bake it so it almost looks underbaked and I Mm. love things that are like 
really gooey. So Mm -hmm. um, anyway, it's just like this really like slightly tangy, really like rich and gooey sugar cookie base. And then of course you put icing with with, uh, sprinkles on top so it can look super cute and festive. Um, So yeah, that recipe is New York Times cooking recipe. Um, I mean, I could go on about this for a long time, but I will tell you one other one other favorite recipe. Um, they're called Tallahassee Lassies, and this is a recipe that I think my mom found. It was like a Today Show cookie competition winner, like 15 years ago or something like that. I'm sure it's if you search it, it's on the internet. But it was like some kind of cookie. So actually, no one. We can't take credit for the recipe. It's with someone else's recipe that the Today Show published at some point. But um, you make them in a muffin tin. So you can do either like mini muffin or muffin slash cupcake tin. You can do mini ones or you can do big ones. Um, and it's kind of like a brown sugar, like caramelly flavor cookie, or, but that's baked in the muffin tin. And then you push down the centers and you put this like, it's like a almost like a butterscotchy mixture you melt like butter brown sugar regular sugar crunched up graham cracker crumbs and maybe some milk and then you melt that and then you pour it in while it's still warm and then you put chocolate chips on top and then you let it like you could either eat them while they're warm and then the the like little the gooey stuff is still kind of gooey or you can let them sit and it hardens a little bit but that like filling is still kind of soft and it has that like the little bit of the texture from the crushed up graham cracker crumbs that haven't fully melted anyway it's really good that sounds amazing <laughs> yeah they're... wow um yes i, I mean... love the name too yeah, yeah. it's fun <laughs> tallahassee lassie is probably someone from so yeah thank you to them because it is a staple of uh, family yes. gatherings we I often make them around the like winter holidays. So, oh my gosh, so, so good. very good. <laughs> yeah, I bet you give like the best cookie tins <laughs> during the holidays. <laughs> you know, I haven't, I haven't ever made like an official like an official cookie tin, but I will make like individual baked goods. I really should. I love that. Just, it, it seems anyway. It seems like an awesome idea that would require. A lot of attention, but yes, we can cut some of this out. I'm just rambling now. <laughs> no, <laughs> I love it. Our no. um, we're yeah. all dreaming of baked goods. <laughs> I know we're all getting hungry. I yeah. love the communal aspect of baking too. How it's something you can do during the holidays and like the traditional aspect of it. I know. I just yeah. love it so much. Like whenever yeah. I think of that, I think of like families in the kitchen all baking together and having. Yeah, a it's fun. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. And that, you know, that bringing it back to, to Ben, that is, you know, it was a family tradition. He passed it in, in, in the case of heartbreak. Um, yeah, Ben starts baking with his mom and his grandma. Um, and that's how he gets his famous minute cinnamon roll recipe. That's right. So, and that's um, there is a scene where they do, they kind of bake together, him and his family and Adam. Um, and there is music playing and there are margaritas and <laughs> Gma makes everyone uncomfortable, of course. <laughs> <laughs> is that when Ben and Adam then sneak off to do their own little baking? Yes, it's right before <laughs> that scene. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so margaritas, that's the key. That's it. And actually, it's so funny, like Gma and her book club were inspired by the Midnight Margarita Club from Practical Magic. Like yeah, I just, I remember that. Yeah, I had this vision of them in the garden drinking margaritas, which then became like the heartbreak tea in the pitcher. But mm-hmm. um, it's so funny how like books can be born from just images in your mind or a random idea, and then you start brainstorming, and it's like turns into a whole, a whole thing. And here we are. And here we are. Um. So, what do you have planned? to celebrate release other than all of the 8 million things that you've committed to over this summer (laughs) (laughs) are taking up all your time and attention. I 
So by the time this publishes, we will have just finished Summer Book Fest at Barnes & Noble Valencia. Well, it'll be just... <laughs> it'll be coming up, right? Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it'll be that coming weekend. Because oh. today is Wednesday, July 26th. We're uh, living in the future. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so then it'll be friday july 29th saturday 28th yeah the 28th 29th and 30th yes Um, so that's gonna be like a big super fun thing with all of a ton of authors and giveaways and panels um and then the following week on august 4th I will be in conversation with Jenny L. Howe um, at the Ripped Bodice for the launch. And um, at the time of recording, I don't know the timing on that yet, but um, it was really serendipitous how this worked out. So Jenny is going to be in town for the Summer Book Fest, and she happens to be hanging around for another week. And so Jenny and I, Jenny was like my very first writing friend ever. Um, And like, I'm getting emotional now because we really went on this journey together and our like um, publishing journeys really coincided and like paralleled. It was wild. So the fact that she's going to be here for my book two launch was just like so cool and we'll probably cry a lot and laugh a lot and be weird (laughs) it's gonna be great (laughs) um sounds awesome but yeah so so that's happening and then um elizabeth are there other projects that you want to shout out for kensington because i know you all have some really fun things in the pipeline yes there are thank you for asking um i well i yeah Many, many things I could shout out. We're going to, we're going to focus in so I don't take it up another 45 minutes on this podcast. (laughs) Um, But um, when this recording is, when this podcast is published, I don't know if it's that, um, The First Date Prophecy by Kate and Danny Tamborelli um, came out on June 27th. So that's a really fun rom-com. So it'll have been out for about a month when, um, you know, right now this podcast is airing. Um, so if you like your rom-coms with a healthy, healthy dose of calm, you will be in for a treat with this book. Um, it's a lot of fun and it's really exciting. It's co-written by an actual married couple. Um, so Kate and Danny, um, this is, this story is actually inspired by their own love story. Um, you know, they, and they talk about this. So this is not like me sharing too much, too much information. They (laughs) met on Tinder in real life. And this is all, they have a fun little author's note in the back of the book that tells like how, you know, how they got the inspiration for this book. Um, So in the book, the characters do meet, do meet on a dating app. They go on their very first date. Um, They're both, they both kind of, you know, had difficult journeys to find love and you know they have their own their own hang-ups they're both a little bit awkward the date starts going a little bit awkward and this is one of the things that I like about this book is that you know it's really fun to have the like instantaneous like oh my gosh I know you're the one for me like you're my person but then it's also fun because often in real life you're like oh I like this person but they like sneezed in a weird way just now and I'm like (laughs) I just met them you know, that kind of thing. So they have a little bit of awkwardness on their first date. Um, and then they thought it would be a funny thing because they started, anyway, I'm rambling too much, but anyway, basically something happens on their first date um, that brings them together and they kind of have to figure out like, okay, so we didn't, we didn't necessarily think that we were going to be soulmates, but the universe is kind of telling us that like, we need to explore things together. And then, you know, they have, you know, their personal and professional journeys. And it's just a lot of fun, um, a lot of heart and a lot of fun um, 90s references for <laughs> us uh, millennials. Um, so Danny, um, one half of the writing team, um, was an actor and comedian who was on Nickelodeon in the 90s. Um, so his character is kind of inspired by, uh, or the, the stand-in character in the book 
has some similarities to Danny's background. So again, fun, fun 90s references. Um, so yeah, that was a very long plug for this book. Um, I hope, uh, hope people read it and like it. Um, so yeah, and then I'll do um, another um, romance slash women's fiction coming out. This will be a fall book coming out in, at the end of October. So Reasonable Adults by Robin Leffler uh, follows a um, woman in her early 30s who, of course, just lost her boyfriend, just lost her job. She's kind of a mess. She's having trouble. Um, and she finds this, what seems like a too good to be true opportunity at a swanky resort in the middle of nowhere in Canada. And she thinks, okay, here's an opportunity for me to go take this like couple month gig, make a good amount of money, reset my life, like have an easy time at this like swanky resort marketing position. Um, so, or a creative retreat resort. She thinks it will be more like a resort. Uh, but when she gets there, she finds it's like stuck in the 90s, it's falling apart, you know, they're using fax machines, that type of thing. Um, the money is not guaranteed. So she's she really is in for an awakening in that sense. Um, and it's really like, so then of course there there's a an alluring coworker um, who uh, you know may or may not have things happen with. Um, but it's super, super charming. And a lot of it, you know, it's about her sort of asking herself, like, what do I want out of life? It's the romance is a really important part of the story, but it's also our heroine's journey. And, you know, so it, you know, digs into these, you know, life changes and, you know, what, um, where do we see home becoming, um, mm. what, you know, sometimes you spend all your time building up a dream that you think you have um, and then it changes or it's never what you wanted in the first place. Um, so another, like, just like Courtney's books, like great, really great uh, world building like this. Um, it's a good, yeah, good fall um, winter book because it's set in this snowy, um, snowy creative retreat. Um, and if you like dogs, there's a really charming golden doodle character. Yay. Our heroine brings her golden doodle Eric to the um, resort with with her. It's mostly dog friendly, but he encounters one curmudgeon <laughs> who he eventually Eric the dog eventually wins over. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so that's another long rambling uh, plug, but it's super fun, super charming, really funny and cute, and will warm your heart. Oh, I love those so yeah. much. Like that's what I'm saying. Like y'all are killing it over there. <laughs> giving people what they just keeping everyone fed <laughs> keeping yeah. us readers fed <laughs> we try we try <laughs> love it and the covers for both of these are fantastic yeah yeah oh. they're really fun so yeah you can you could buy the first state prophecy now and uh reasonable Yay. adults will be out in end of october awesome can't wait oh, love it Mm -hmm. Elizabeth, we cannot thank you enough for coming on the show. Oh, such thank a you joy. So much for having me. It was an honor to be here and so fun to talk with you guys about in the case of heartbreak and the publishing process and baked goods and letting Yay. me ramble on about all of those things. Probably rambled too much, but not at all. You're absolutely <laughs> no, first, lovely. First, first podcasting experience. <laughs> I'm glad it could be with us. It was amazing. Couldn't ask for a better <laughs> podcast. Thank you experience. so much. And yeah, um, thank you. Yay for us finishing a second book. And <laughs> yay. Yes. We did well, it. By the, yeah. It'll, it's out in the world, in this future world that we're living in. Yay. It's July 26th. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Your book is out. It's, That's it's so right. exciting. That's it's, right. It's so beautiful. <laughs> Um, so go buy it. <laughs> yes, go buy it. It's really good. And if you haven't read In the Event of Love, also buy that one. You don't need yes. to read In the Event of Love to know, like, enjoy In the Case of Heartbreak. It will just only enhance your reading experience. Yes. So you could read In the Case of Heartbreak first and then In the Event of Love if you want to be, like, more seasonal about it. Oh. But what's up to you? The timing is good. Yeah. Yeah summertime and then you've got the girls to lead right. you into <laughs> yeah lead you into winter that's right yeah exactly 
I love it. All right. Well, congratulations to both of you on another beautiful book. So exciting. Uh, everybody go get your copies now and we will talk with you more next week. Thank you so much for listening to Happy to Meet Cute. If you enjoyed our podcast, we would love it so much if you would give us a follow on social media. We are at Happy to Meet Cute on Instagram. And also, if you could please leave a review and subscribe, that would be amazing. If you would like to follow your host, you can find Courtney at court underscore K, K-A-E, on all social media platforms. And you can find me, Fallon Ballard, at Fallon Ballard, everywhere you imbibe your social media. If you would like to buy any of the books mentioned in this episode, you can find links in the show notes. And a special shout out to Zachary Kibbe and Matt Ballard for our amazing theme song. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope to see you next time.